Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We have been studying the incredible teachings of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount since the beginning of the year. And Tim mentioned our key scripture for that, but I want to read it out just one more time. It's out of Matthew 6:33, and it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed this series not because it's just a good topic. Listen, we should be seeking God all our life. I've been seeking him for the last 20 years of my journey with him. But I think that there has been a greater invitation with the start of this year to seek him in greater ways than we ever have. I know for me, I've found that my reflex to go to him first has strengthened before I go to someone else, before I let that thought trail me down a different path, I'm seeking him. I'm seeking him with new areas and in greater ways with my life, and it is transformative. And give me a big, fat amen if you agree. Amen. Okay, good. I'm just training you to be vocal because the 11 o'clock tends to be quieter when it comes to like the hollerback church that we are. Come on, say things, do more, yeah. And, and we're going to get into this subject, and you're going to be like, I want to stay quiet, but I'm just going to force you to talk to me. Is that cool? Is that cool? All right. Now, it would normally be at this point in the service that I would uh, give you a massive recap of the last handful of weeks in this series, but I don't have time to do that. But what I will do is I will point out the awkwardness that was in the room this last week. As Tim brought the word, I don't know about you, but I could cut the tension with a knife, <laughs> as he talked about Jesus's teachings on how we should treat our enemies. Come on, it was pretty thick in the room. And you'd think that we would be, have been really strategic and we would have, you know, switched up some of these teachings so it wasn't intense topic after intense topic after intense topic. But here's the deal. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That just happens to be the teachings of Jesus. So here we are today, we've, we've explored how to deal with our enemies, how to handle our anger. Later on, we're going to talk about the necessity of forgiveness, and today we're going to be talking about the uncomfortable subject of divorce. <laughs> this is where we're at, people. Now with that, you know, there's been a bit of a stir in our community, and people have you know, said a few things to me knowing that I was going to be the one preaching on this. Are you nervous, Robin? How are you going to handle that? No, are you going to mention? And there was you know, a lot of chatter. And I'll be honest, uh, I've responded, man, nothing makes you feel more like a lead pastor than having to preach about divorce. Because if it were up to me, I would go behind this curtain and be like, no, it's cool, guys. I'll mop the bathroom floor. Somebody else do this. In fact, I got out of doing this over the summer when we were in our series in 1 Corinthians when we're going through Paul's letters to the church. I had chapter seven. Chapter seven deals with singleness and marriage and divorce. And those are three very lofty topics. And there was absolutely no way that I was gonna be able to preach on all three of those things in a 35 minute time frame. So I decided to preach on singleness and divorce, and then I resource, or sorry, uh, singleness and marriage, and I resource people with a great sermon on divorce. And I was like, well, that's why, guys. I wasn't trying to get out of it, but if I'm being honest with you, I was trying to get out of it. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. Uh, it's not just me who's avoided it. 
church is like, are you sure we want to talk about that? Do I want to step into that? And if I believed in karma, then it would, it would be today that the pendulum would swing back around and this would land in my, my lap as fate would have it because I said, nah, I'm going to get out of it later. So here we are, people. <laughs> now, I was uncomfortable, but so were some people in the room, our congregation. Had a few people say, I don't know if I want to sit under that teaching. Why? Because maybe you've been through a divorce or maybe you're currently going through one or you're contemplating one. Now, I wanna take a moment here and tell you that this should be a safe place for you. I do not want you to walk into this room and feel like the spotlight's gonna drop on you because you've had a divorce or I'm pointing my finger at you. That's the last thing I want you to feel. You know, the teachings of Jesus never brought condemnation. They brought conviction, but never condemnation. Condemnation brings guilt, and that's not from him. If he never preached that way, neither am I. So if you're here today and you're, you've walked through a divorce, I also want you to know, this is like disclaimer section, okay? It's not my intention to bring this word to you so I can tell you what you did wrong in the past. That's not the goal here. And if you're currently walking through a divorce, it is also not my goal to try and convince you to change your mind. Do I hope that the Holy Spirit speaks to you today? Absolutely. But I want you to know, if you're part of this community, then it is our commitment to you to walk with you with love and care and compassion for the situation that you're walking through today. And lastly, this is a massive topic. There is absolutely no way that I would be able to preach on every facet of this topic. There's a lot of things that we could cover in scriptures and dig into. So I'm gonna let you know up front that you're probably gonna be disappointed that I don't cover all the things you want me to cover. Instead, what I'd like to do is resource you because if you are contemplating a divorce or a walking through one, then I believe it's important to go to the word of God and see what he says. So there's a resource on our app. You can go to our app and click on additional resources and there's some of the study tools, some of the commentaries that I read and walked through to prepare to, to preach this and also a great sermon on divorce, the one I handed out over the summer because it's still great. So I wanna invite you to do that as we go from here today. All right, all the disclaimers out of the way. Here's your title for this morning. It's this, Back to His Heart. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Now let's do the most important thing that we can do to prepare our hearts to receive the word. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for just your, your grace and your goodness. You're already in this room. Thank you for the reminder that you care for us and you love us and you wanna meet with us today. So I know that the moment that we say, I'm here to talk with you, you're here to talk with us. So we just say that in our hearts. We open up our hearts and we say, would you come and speak to us? Speak directly to our hearts this morning. Whether we're walking through this or maybe we're just curious about this topic, whatever the space, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak and lead us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Well, you can turn in your Bibles to chapter 5 of Matthew, where we find Jesus' teachings on this subject. I'm going to read it out, and it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, Here's what he says, starting in verse 31. You have heard the law that says. Now, pause. Last couple of weeks, we've done the same thing. In Jesus' teaching, he comes to the people that he's teaching, and he says, you've heard it said. I love this phrasing because he's pointing us back to something. So he says, you have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But then Jesus says, but I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told that you must not break your vows, you must, not carry, uh, you must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Don't say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. And do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just simply say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. Now, there's a lot here, a lot of intense things here that Jesus says, and some that we won't even cover. But what I want to do this morning is I first want to focus in on these first two verses about what Jesus says. But in order to understand his words, then we need to understand who Jesus was talking to. And he, his audience before him as he was teaching were the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people were a nation who theoretically had a higher standard for marriage than anyone else. They, they saw marriage as a sacred duty. And also, theoretically speaking, they saw divorce as something that should be avoided entirely. As they took that teaching out of Malachi 2.16 that says, God hates divorce. Now, this is theoretically where they camped out. But just like many other things we see from people, sometimes you can preach something and practice something else. And that's what was happening among a lot of the Jewish people. They were saying one thing, but doing another. Yet, when Jesus says this in verse 31, you have heard the law that says. The law that he's talking about is he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 24, it says this. When a man takes a wife and he marries her, If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and then it goes on to give more details. When it came to this scripture, there were two schools of thought. Now, I have to give a disclaimer for the sake of the women in the room because this law was directed towards men because at the time, women had no legal rights and all the women said, boo, good, you're you're on my team, we good. Now, this first school of thought came from a rabbi by the name of Shammai. And he said that it was quite clear that some indecency meant fornication or more plainly, adultery. And that meant that adultery was the only qualification for divorce. End of story. 
There were no other grounds on which a man could divorce his wife. Now, this is the, the more conservative view and interpretation of that law. But there's always a flip side. There's always a more, you know, rebellious or liberal view that has found its way into the interpretation. And that was by the name of a rabbi called Halal. His radical opinion was that the law said that if a man found anything, everybody say anything, anything that didn't please him about his wife, he could issue her a certificate of divorce. Now, some commentators gave me some examples of this. Some of the reasons why men found that they should divorce their wives. Some of them are quite ridiculous. The first one is if a woman didn't cook her husband's food properly. I'm sorry, what? Well, just grab the salt. Put more salt on it yourself. You're going to be fine. Ridiculous. Or if a woman went out into public with her hair down. Tim, I'd like to publicly apologize. My scrunchie's in the car. I'll go get it. Now, they were issuing divorce for, for certificates of a divorce for the most ridiculous things. If a woman was found to be disrespectful to her in-laws, a husband could divorce his wife. Papa T, I would never, okay, only speak honor of you. I think the most common sort of example and the reason for divorce was if a man found a woman that was more favorable in his eyes, then he would issue a certificate of divorce. Now, I think we can all guess what the more popular camp was for the Jewish people at the time, which, which interpretation they used to suit their lifestyle. Now, although there are many differences between their culture and our culture, we can name a lot of them. Let's name one of them. Now women have the rights. Well, here at least. We can say amen to that. But I would propose to us today that their culture, when it came to the reason for divorce, is very similar to all our culture today. And when Jesus says this in Matthew 5 to the Jewish people, we also need to understand that Jesus was not just telling them this to their culture in that time in history, but this is a universal teaching, meaning that Jesus was saying this to all of us, to every culture in every time in history, which means he was talking to us today, to us in the room, which to me I think is really good news because I don't know if you've noticed it, but when it comes to marriage and the church, the, ch the, the church isn't really crushing it. When we look at statistics or reasons for divorce and we contrast the, the reason that people in the church get divorced as opposed to the reason outside, they look far too similar. I think it's a clear indicator that we need a new way of looking at this subject. Because I think that there are far too many people that are looking at it with the old, you've heard it said mentality. In fact, as I've spent my time studying out these scriptures, I've also been talking to people. And that I've heard it said, or you've heard it said attitude has flown into the way that people have conversation. What essentially everybody is saying is, 
when am I allowed to get a divorce? When am I allowed? Like, what's it say? What's the, when am I allowed to do it? Hey, if I've fallen out of love with my husband, I'm not that happy with my wife. Man, I, I married someone that I thought they were a different person and they turned out to be someone else. Or there's strain, or we're just arguing. When am I allowed? Or there was a, when am I allowed? But what I would propose to us today is that's the wrong question. Instead of asking, when am I allowed to get a divorce? I think the question that we need to be asking instead is, God, what's your heart for marriage? God, what's your heart for marriage? And some, of, some people agree with me there with their amen, but others are like, what are you talking about? Like that came out of left field. Like, you just completely segued somewhere else. Well, let me take a moment and explain what I mean. In addition to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, he also expounds on this topic a bit later in the book of Matthew. If you turn a few pages over to chapter 19, which you can do right now, he speaks on the same topic. And in verse 3, there's, we read that there's some Pharisees that come to question him or try and trap him, which this is just kind of what they did. They tried to trap him in conversation by asking him a question. And they said this, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, their intention wasn't just to trap him, but they wanted to know which camp are you in? The more conservative or the other? And Jesus responds to them in verse four with, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And then the Pharisees respond with, well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and then send her away? Jesus responded again, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now we're gonna pick through this bit by bit. I know it's a lot to take in in just one reading. But what I'd like to point out before I point anything else out is it's a pretty boss move to answer question with a question. And Jesus was the master at that. Although, Tanya, you're pretty good at it too, I just must say. You're, you're taking, taking his lead there. I also can't help but read this portion of scripture without sarcasm. Because if you know the Pharisees, then you know the Pharisees are supposed to be experts of the law. So Jesus responds to them with, I think, a pretty heavy dose of sarcasm as he asks them, haven't you read the scriptures? <laughs> just need to help you. It's more exciting when you slow down and read your Bible. Now, what Jesus is doing here is, he is he's not avoiding the question. Instead, he's pointing the Pharisees to a more important truth. While the Pharisees are pointing back to the law, Jesus is pointing even further back to the beginning, to the garden. 
In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve for each other, not for anyone else. Well, duh, Robin, there was no one else on the planet, (laughs) essentially. In the case of Adam and Eve, divorce was not just inadvisable, it was completely impossible as nobody else existed, so there was no one else for them to marry instead. And here, what Jesus is doing with these questioning Pharisees is he's using Adam and Eve as the type and picture for what every marriage should look like after them. I love this quote by A.H. McNeil. I'm not sure what his initials stand for. I'll figure it out later. But he said this, Each married couple is a reproduction of Adam and Eve, and their union is therefore no less indissolvable. I love the picture that Jesus brings the Pharisees back to. He says, hey, when a man and a woman get married, they enter into a covenant relationship. That covenant means that they are no longer two individuals. You guys, here's the news. When you get married, math gets all messed up. Because no longer does one plus one equal two. Instead, one plus one equals one. And Jesus says that when two become one flesh, no one should split that covenant apart. That word split, other translations use the word separate. And in the original word, it's this word, it means carizo, not chorizo, but carizo. I said it wrong before too. You like that? It's good to laugh. This is what it means. It means to divide, to part, to separate one from self. So if two become one and you separate them, no longer do you have two individuals Instead, you have one that's been broken in half. I think a better word used here is the word dismembered. When two are broken apart, it's as if they're torn apart and their limbs are dismembered. Robin, that sounds like a really intense word to use here. I don't think that's true. Just ask somebody who's gone through a divorce. Ask them about the pain and the brokenness that they've experienced as they've been torn in two. I think they'd agree with that. Now Jesus responds to the Pharisees again in verse 8. And he said, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession for your hard hearts. But it was not what God originally intended. Jesus is pointing them back to the beginning to remind them of God's original intent for marriage. His original intent was that marriage would be permanent and that God only gave a divine concession for divorce because of our human weakness. See, Jesus was speaking into a culture at the time that had gotten so far away from God's heart for marriage. 
In fact, these Pharisees that he was speaking to had most likely had divorces themselves. They were handing them out left and right. And while the Pharisees were more focused on what they could get away with, here Jesus is showing them that he's raising the standard back up for marriage, pointing them back to the beginning, pointing them back to God's heart. And God's heart is that one would always be one. The reason married couples get together isn't for tax benefits or companionship or to stop living in a lifestyle of lust. No, if God brought you together, then he says, whom I brought together, no one should separate, not even you. So after reminding these Pharisees of God's heart, Jesus offers them the one concession for divorce. At the conclusion of his statement, he says, and I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries somebody else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now this language that Jesus uses here is similar to the language that he uses in chapter five of the book of Matthew. There's also two other gospel accounts that sound somewhat similar. And Jesus says that it is only permissible to divorce if there's been adultery. That's it. According to Jesus, there are no other list of qualifications for divorce. As it's quiet in the room, I'm just going to take a moment to remind you those are his words, not mine. But I will take it a step further in the awkwardness. And I'd suggest that even this concession needs to be considered in the context of God's heart. Because remember, am I allowed to divorce or when am I allowed to divorce is the wrong question. And the question we should be asking is, God, what's your heart for marriage? When Tim and I got married, we had the traditional wedding vows that we said to one another. But in addition to that, we made a commitment to each other that divorce wasn't on the table. And no matter how difficult our marriage could get or challenging or the things that we would face, we committed to one another that divorce wouldn't be an option. The only concession to this was Jesus's concession, was if one of us committed adultery. Now for me, then and now, I still can't imagine Tim choosing another woman over me. Sickens me. It angers me. (laughs) A lot of feelings come up. But let's be real. For me, it's hard to imagine him being intimate with someone else and then me being intimate with him. And because of that, I would turn my awkward worry of that, not that I was like, oh, you but that intense feeling into a joke. <laughs> That's what you do sometimes. And I'd say to him, if you ever <laughs> commit adultery, not only am I leaving you, castrations on the table. <laughs> this is me. Now, we know that behind humor, there's always a truth. There's always an element. (laughs) And 
segue for half a second. It's in this point of the message. Um, I'll let you know that every time I prepare a message, I never just prepare it and then come and preach it. I always send Tim my notes and say, hey, number one, check it for heresy. That's important. Number two, do you have any feedback? And Tim, uh, I'll send him a Google Doc that we can share, and he often puts his remarks or feedback in red. Now, I waited. I asked him this last service, and I'll ask him again, pretending I didn't. Is that because you're like a teacher with a red marker, or you're trying to be like Jesus with the red letters? Which one? (laughs) For the sake of this, I went ahead and and left this. I'm going to read these red letters out to you. Tim requested at this point in the sermon, I state clearly here that no such thing has ever happened, nor will it ever. He is a faithful man, and our marriage is firmly intact, which I co-sign on. It's true. Okay, back to the point of why I'm even sharing this. A few months ago, we were sitting down with a couple, talking with them about how they were potentially facing divorce. And I asked them the same question that I asked you at the beginning. What's God's heart for your marriage? Out of the moment those words left my mouth, I felt a wave of conviction wash over me. A wave of conviction for how I'd been joking, how I'd gotten so used to joking in that manner. Semi-joking, what I was saying is, there's a contingency on our covenant. And I was saying that Jesus co-signed on that because Jesus said, if you commit adultery, I can leave you. But it was in that moment that I felt the heavenly father give me a little bit more of his heart for my marriage. And I felt him whisper, just because Jesus said you could doesn't mean he encourages you to. I had never thought of that scripture in that light before. Just because he says there is a concession doesn't mean I have to walk it out. Or to quote Cinderella, just because it's done doesn't mean it should be done. Now, I love what the book of Ephesians tells us about marriage tells us that marriage is supposed to be the image of how God loves us. That he uses the covenant of a marriage to display what his covenant is that he made with us. How he loves us. And the lasting covenant that he made. In fact, the covenant of marriage and the way I treat my spouse is supposed to be a visual representation to the watching world of how the heavenly father wants to love them. So when I remember that, when I remember the covenant that God made with me, I realize that I have broken that covenant time and time and time again. Every time I've sinned, every time I've done something that I've said, God, I'll never do that again, and then I find myself doing it. Every time I've chosen someone or something above him, or as the word says, I've prostituted myself out by putting something above him. Yet God, in his unfailing love for me, has never divorced me. Although I've broken the covenant time and time and time again, he has 
hasn't divorced me. Instead, he's forgiven me over and over. And with that in mind, how could I have the audacity to not treat my spouse the same way? That night, I went to Tim. First, I went to God and I repented and I went to him and I told him, I'm never going to joke like that again. I don't want there to be any contingencies. I want to look at our covenant with greater eyes of how the heavenly father has displayed his covenant with me. Now, that particular conviction is not something that I'm trying to place on you. If there has been adultery in your marriage, you do have that concession for, the, for divorce. Jesus has said that himself. So I'm not trying to put my conviction on you. But whatever it is, if it's that concession or it's dissatisfaction or if it's irreconcilable, I can't say that word, I tried. Differences, you have differences in your marriage. Or any other plethora of reasons that we can find ourselves considering divorce. What I'd say to you today is it would be wise for you to take a moment and remember. Not remember what your spouse did or didn't do, but remember what Jesus will never do. No matter how many times you break that covenant with him, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I won't leave you sitting in a puddle of your sin. In fact, I'm not going to treat your sin as your sin deserves, as it says in Psalm 103. I'm not going to keep a record of your wrongs, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. And when we realize what we've received, we also have to remember that Jesus said, freely you've received. Now freely I want you to give. Translation, what if we treated our spouse more like Jesus treats us? Now listen, I know that it can sound like I'm oversimplifying a very complex and nuanced subject. Like this is just all you have to do. And I'm ignoring everything else. Like, wait a minute, Robin. If we go to uh, Paul's letters, you mentioned 1 Corinthians. What, what about what he says about the concession of divorce? Or, or what, what about remarriage after divorce? Is that, is that, are we allowed to do that? Is that something we can do? Or what about abuse in marriage? You haven't mentioned that. There's a lot of reasons that we could approach the subject of divorce. What about that? I have questions and I need answers, woman. Listen, we could spend another 30 to 50 minutes talking about the complexities of this subject till we're blue in the face. But to me, that's irrelevant. Because here's the deal. It might be a newsflash for you. You don't come to church so I can tell you what to do. No, I was a youth pastor for too long where I tried to tell young people what to do. It doesn't work. What my job is, is to point you to the one who can tell you what to do. To point you to the one that knows you better than you know yourself. To seek him. I am not the guide for your life. He is. So let me give you the million dollar question to help you in your seeking. Here's what you can ask. God, what do you say about my situation? What do you say? Not what advice does someone have to give me 
Or what did that TED talk say or that friend's shoulder I cried on? Because if we're not careful, what we'll find is some of these opinions will sound a whole lot more like the you've heard it said voices. And maybe not all of them will agree with God. But here's the deal, he knows you. He knows every hair on your head, so he knows every tear that you have shed. He knows what you've walked through. He knows the pain that you've suffered. He knows the sleepless nights. He knows the arguments. He sees you. He knows you so intimately, and he also intimately knows your spouse. So he is the best one qualified to direct you in what you should do. God, what's your heart? And listen, I know that he will be faithful if you're willing to ask him. He'll be faithful to direct you. How do I know this? Because I've seen him do it time and time again with people right here in this community who've walked through the most dire and intense situations and they've come to me as if I have the answer or the counselor. And every time we sit with those people, I'll pray with you and I'll sit with you. But what is he saying? And he is faithful to direct. So I believe he'll be faithful to direct you. In fact, I wanna share a story from someone right here in our community and, and their experience. I'm gonna invite the band to come as I share this as we get ready to close this morning. Um, last week, she and I were talking. She's an amazing woman in our community. I'm so grateful. She's a part of our church. She gave me permission, I'll still keep her anonymous, to share parts of her story today. Uh, she said she entered into a marriage and she had kids with a man who turned out to be mentally unstable. He treated her terribly. He was controlling, he was manipulative. He was verbally abusive, and when he wasn't vocal with his harsh words, he would issue her the silent treatment. At one point, he didn't communicate with her for over a month, and they lived under the same roof. She, uh, she spent her time walking on eggshells out of protection for herself and for her children. They went to marriage counseling, but he didn't seem to change his behavior even after session, after session, after session. But she said to me, yet in all the darkness, I grew close to God. I prayed so hard, God, please let me leave. But I just felt to know is the answer over and over. I couldn't find the peace around it and I could not understand it, so I stayed. I decided that God wanted me to take care of someone sick, so I did. Eventually, her husband's condition and behavior worsened. He was no longer safe to be around and she was advised to get a restraining order. And then as God would have it, she no longer needed to decide if she was gonna leave him because he came and confessed he had a girlfriend and now he wanted a divorce. At that point, she was left with almost nothing. She no longer had a marriage. She didn't have a job and she didn't have enough money to support her kids and herself. She didn't even have a place to live. But right there, smack dab in that terrible situation, she still saw God moving. Within three days of his confession, she was given a three bedroom house with only putting down a $100 deposit. 
Come on, that's in San Francisco, so that's a miracle in itself. She was also offered a good job, had enough money to support herself and her children. Listen, there's a whole lot we can learn from her story. There's a whole lot I didn't tell. But I think my most favorite part about her story is that she didn't make a quick decision. She didn't even pay attention to her own comfort. She went straight to God and she said, what should I do? What do you want me to do with my marriage? Now listen, this morning, well, God may not give you the same answer he gave her. I think we can all benefit from her story. Ask ourselves, can I do what she did? Rather than looking for the permissible escape or the biblical justification for divorce, let's come back to the question of the day. God, what's your heart? What do you say? What's your heart for me in my marriage? I know what I wanna do. What do you want me to do? As I look at your word and I consider your ways and I consider our covenant and how you treat me, how do you want me to treat my spouse? God, I'm not looking for what's comfortable. I'm looking for what's most like you. I'm looking for your heart. Jesus, I seek you first in this. Let's be honest this morning. Just like many of Jesus' teaching, it is far easier said than done. This is heavy. There's a lot. Just as I said before, I wanna resource you to go to the Word so that you can ask Him, God, what's your heart? And read and sit. But that's not something you should do by yourself. Listen, if you're walking through a divorce or you've recently been through a divorce, you're hurting. You've been dismembered. Do not walk alone in this season. When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. So not only am I like, go resource, go figure it out. Absolutely not. If you don't have community, if you don't have a man of God or woman of God or a group that you can walk with, then we wanna walk with you. In just a moment, Tim's gonna come up and he's gonna give you some more details on this. But for right now, if that's you, if you're walking through this, you've been through a divorce recently, or you're going through one, or you just simply are in a desperate place in your marriage, I wanna pray for you. In fact, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you'd be just bold, do you just kind of lift up your hands or just put them out in that posture. If that's you, you need to receive prayer for this today because I'm not just praying for you. This room's gonna pray for you because that's what community does. If that's you, Jesus, right now, we pray over the brokenness in marriages, the situations that I don't know and the details that you do know. And we invite heaven to come we invite restoration over marriages that are in broken spaces, and we invite you to come and minister over those who 
are walking through a divorce, there's already that severing and that, bre that breaking apart. That dismemberment is already happening right now. We pray for those people and like you would come and wrap your arm around them and sit them. Right now, I pray that that would happen, that they would feel the heavenly father wrap his arms around them. And then I pray right now that community and people of God that are around them would bring that healing balm, that oil that they need to mend their wounds and walk with them. And we know that this is far beyond us and we need you. We invite you to minister, even as we open up the altars in a bit, we invite you to minister to the brokenness and the hurting that our family is facing today. We invite you in, come and do what only you can do. Now with your head still bowed and your eyes closed, I know this is a heavy topic and a maybe interesting topic you'd say to find a segue for an altar call, but you know, we will never preach a Sunday morning service and not have an opportunity for people to come to faith. Cause here's the deal. The most important covenant relationship you will ever walk in is the one with King Jesus who gave himself for you. So right now, if that's you, you're far from Jesus and you know you need to get right with him, he's inviting you into that everlasting covenant with him. He wants you to simply make a decision of faith and say, I choose to be in covenant relationship with you. You can do that today. So if that's you, well, everybody's looking down. I simply just want to invite you, if you wanna make that decision to follow Jesus, to look up at me, maybe wave your hand, make eye contact with me. Don't be shy this morning, if that's you. Come on, I'm gonna wait for just one second more. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, for those who need to make this decision today, we're gonna to all pray with them. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for giving yours for mine. Today, I choose to follow you. I turn from my past and I make you Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins wash me clean. I choose to make covenant with you today. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those who maybe made that decision today? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.